Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. Now normally on Sunday mornings when we come for worship, we're in the midst of a series of messages. Where I'm preaching on a specific topic over a certain amount of weeks and seeing what God's word has to say about that. But for the month of September, it's going to be a little bit different. Starting with today, we're going to have a specific vision Sunday. I'm going to talk a little bit and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. And then next week. Uh, In the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a special short message series on marriage. And then the last week, we're going to talk a little bit about evangelism. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to have um, kind of one-off sermons or single sermons uh, over the next few weeks. And I wanted to start that with something that's been brewing in my mind for a couple of years now. And I've shared some of this along the way with you on Sunday mornings in certain areas and certain areas. Venues, but the Lord really, a couple of years ago, began to work in my heart about what the next five years, the next ten years looks like for First Baptist Church Goodlettsville. And I want to tell you right from the very beginning, and this probably isn't something you should say right from the very beginning, I don't have it all figured out. Like preachers don't always need to admit that, right? Like I don't have it all figured out, but I want to tell you kind of where we're going on this journey and the process. Now, I also want to say that a lot of times when a pastor begins to talk about vision, people get a little squirrely. Because vision usually means change. Y'all knew that. Wow. And so you begin to think, "Uh uh-oh, what's he taking? What's he changing? What's going on? What's happening? What are we doing? What's different? We are creatures of habit. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? We love our routines, our habits. We love what we love to do and know and how we feel. In fact, we are creatures that, by definition, create pathways in our brains to help us to do things more efficiently so that we get into a habit. Those of you that drove here this morning, how many of you really thought about backing out of your driveway and then pulling out onto the street? Some of us look at it, but you don't think about the complicated measures that are required to get and look in mirrors and make sure they're there and analyze the road. I'm thinking about this because I'm driving next to a 15-year-old who will soon be driving. You begin to view driving differently when you realize That one is almost legal behind the wheel. And when you're driving down the road, do you realize the number of calculations just habitually you make regularly while driving that I'm not sure he's ready for yet? Right? So when you talk about vision, you talk about change. And we are going to talk about change. We're going to talk about some directional change, some shift in focus. But the one thing that we won't change, the one thing that will never change around this church is the overall mission of what we're about. We exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the purpose statement that we've had here for the last 11 years, the long time that I've been your pastor. It's really just a restating of the purpose statement that Jesus gave to the disciples as he was leaving the earth. 
So we're not changing the basics of who we are, what we're about when it comes to the purpose of our mission. Our mission is to glorify God. That's a good amen spot, by the way. You may not find a whole lot more spots. You want to amen in the rest of the message, so you better get them in while you can, all right? We exist to glorify God. That's our purpose. The purpose of the church is to serve and glorify and make great the name of God. Now, when we say glorify, we don't mean to make something smaller, bigger. We're not saying that we got to somehow magnify God's glory because you cannot magnify that which is infinitely big. What we are saying is we are glorifying, we are bringing attention to, we are bringing an understanding to, we are looking towards the one that is great and mighty and holy and we want to let the world know that he is now i don't usually talk about football games other than tennessee by the way didn't you like the game tennessee played against our new biggest rival east tennessee state i'm going to insist we put them on the schedule every year amen i got an amen there but i don't know if you saw last night but a 31-year streak was broken. And anybody that beats Florida is good with me, all right? Kentucky beat Florida for the first time since the 80s, since before Oregon Trail came a game on the computer. It's been a long time. It wasn't before the Oregon Trail existed. That's been longer, but... And you know what happened last night because a football game was won? Chaos in the streets of Lexington. Cars turned over, fires lit, until the rain came and forced everybody inside. People were going crazy because they won a football game. Our goal is to take the most glorious being in the universe and just bring attention to who he is and to what he's done for us. We exist to glorify God. How do we do that specifically as a church? By leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I told you, it's just a restatement of Jesus' mission. And in Matthew chapter 28, he tells us his mission. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority. How much authority? All. Has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. As a result of the fact that you have my authority, I have all authority has been given to me. I'm giving you that authority to go out in my name, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our purpose statement that's written on the wall back there, that's on your bulletin that you came in this with this morning. Our purpose statement is just a restating of the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. That is our commission. You realize that that commission was not just to the people standing around him in that circle at the end of his life on earth before he ascended into heaven. That commission is for you and for me. If you are in this room today. How many, of you, how many of you are in the room today? All right. If you're in this room today and you're still breathing, anybody we got that? Or, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have been saved by Jesus. This is your purpose in life. All of us. And as a church, that's our purpose. Now, the strategy we use for that is Acts 1-8. 
when as he's getting ready to ascend, he says, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. You're just going to tell people what I've done. You're just going to show people what I've done. You're just going to help people understand what I've done in all Judea or in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Everywhere you can imagine, you're going to take my message. And I'm thankful they obeyed. Aren't you? Aren't you? Because if they had not, I would not be here. And neither would you. The most vulnerable the church has ever been is right here. Because if they would have decided, man, he's gone. He didn't really mean the whole earth. He just meant us. Keep it alive. Be good friends with each other. Just us. There's never been a First Baptist Church, Goodlesville, Southern Baptist Convention, Evangelical Movement. There would have never been billions of people who called Jesus Lord. So our goal is to create, to be a part of leading people to become passionately devoted followers who are witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as I began to think through this message, as I began to think through this day, as I tried to wrap my head around what scripture passage could I use, what what story could I use to kind of help us to visualize what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to truly trust in Jesus, to truly follow Christ. And there is a passage of scripture that is very familiar. When I say it, when you, I've already told you where to turn, and you can already see that in the midst of that are some very familiar passages. I am not going to talk about John the Baptist being beheaded, although that's familiar. I'm not going to talk about feeding of the 5,000, although that's familiar. But I am going to talk about Peter's walk on the water. Because I think there's something in this passage that encapsulates what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately. Do you know what immediately means? Immediately, right? Right now. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead into the other side. Now, if you didn't see what just happened, even though I just mentioned it, maybe you weren't there with me for a second. If you didn't see what happened right before this, in the verses that preceded, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just some fish and loaves of bread that a little boy had brought for his lunch. And as we know from the chapter 6 in the book of John, that when that happened, the people went nuts. Like... This is our guy. He's our king. Let's make him king. Let's go get him. It tells us that when they got to the other side the next day, after the walking on the water incident we're going to read about in a minute, that they literally went to him to make him king. And Jesus had to thin the herd. Jesus had to get rid of them. So he started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This was the height. This moment at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 is the high point of the crowds that Jesus has in the Gospels. And he tells the disciples to go on in the boat. He'll catch him on the other side. Now, I always think it's funny that the disciples obeyed because they should have obeyed. But I wonder if they discussed in the boat, how's he going to get there? Right? His transportation plans were the boat they were in. They didn't have Uber boats back then. 
They couldn't get on the app and call for a ride. But nevertheless, they thought, we got to go. So they get in the boat and they start across to the other side. Jesus, after dismissing the crowds, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Every time you see Jesus get inundated with praise or inundated with people, he pulls away to pray. A lesson for our lives is in the moments when we have the least amount of time to do it, the most important thing we can do is pray. That wasn't even planned, but it's good. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the scene, they were, what would you have been? Scared, right? They were terrified. It's a ghost! Mine has an exclamation point. I don't know if yours does or not, but it's there. They said and they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Moment of decision. Now, we know the answer, right? If you've been in church, you know what Peter does. He doesn't say, no, thank you, Jesus. It's not in the Bible if he does, by the way. We know what Peter's response is going to be, but have you thought about what your response would have been? You're out in the middle of a boat. Now, granted, you've just seen him feed 5,000 people, so you are completely trusting in his ability to do the unthinkable. And as you're sitting in that boat, battered by the waves and the winds and the storm that is about, Jesus says, come. And you know what that means. That means you got to get out of the boat, the safety and security of the boat that you're in in the midst of this storm. you got to step out onto the water. Then you've got to walk to him. Here's what else you know. You're not the one with the power. You're not Jesus. Right? You're Peter. Now, you're pretty confident in yourself. We know that from the rest of the New Testament. But you're Peter. That's Jesus. Jesus is walking on water. He's got a decision to make. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the talents? Do you remember when we talked about the parable of the talents? We said that in order for you to follow Jesus effectively, it involves doing what? Taking risk. I want to tell you, I, I spoke on this particular passage on Wednesday night about six or seven weeks ago, and it has not left me. You ever have that with something in the Bible, with something in your life where you just you, you, it just gets into you and it doesn't leave you, it doesn't leave you alone. It's like you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about Peter. And I've read this story hundreds of times. I've t- preached on this message almost as much as on any I've ever preached in my life. And when I was growing up, I had a couple of sugar sticks. You know what sugar sticks are? Y'all, y'all may not, but preachers have sugar sticks. They're the, they're the ones that they know they can pull out anytime they need them. Right? The good ones. I don't even know what a sugar stick itself is, but I hear it's good, all right? 
In Hebrews chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 14 were a couple of mine. I've known this passage. I've heard this passage. I've thought about this passage. I've read books on this passage. I've preached message series on this passage. But for some reason, this passage has haunted me like it has never before over the last two months. And it's because of that single word, risk. You cannot effectively follow Jesus without taking risk. And everything in our Christian culture in America seems to be geared towards making it safe. And Jesus never called us to be safe. I'm also fascinated by what I've called in the past the boat potatoes that stayed in the boat. Right? Because one got out, Peter, and eleven stayed. Now, what's the difference between Peter and the eleven? Risk. You know what else is the difference? One of them walked on water. Now, I know some of you are already jumping ahead looking down there. Yeah, but he fell. Yeah, but he walked on water. You know how many people in the history of the world have walked on water? Two. Unassisted, that is. I'm not talking about, you know, with assistance. I'm not talking about with some magic tricks. I'm not talking about with some kind of visual effects. I'm talking about really walking on water. There have been two. Jesus and Peter. He got to experience life literally like no one else but Jesus. Yeah, and then he starts to realize, I'm walking on water. You ever been there? Maybe not walking on water, but you find yourself in the midst of a situation. You're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. How did I get here? And then you start to notice, I shouldn't be here. And he begins to sink. But even in that moment, it says, Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on water and came toward Jesus. It makes us feel like that he took progressive steps. This wasn't immediate. This wasn't like he got in the water and went down. He starts to walk. When he saw the strength of the wind, when he saw what was against him, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, called hold of him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat did only what you can do when you've seen a man walk on water and pull another one out. Worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Matthew chapter 14 shows us. That in order to be a follower of Jesus, in order to experience what nobody else experiences, you must be willing to get out of the boat and take a risk. And when I think of that phrase, passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ, I think of several things that I want for you as church members, as followers of Jesus, as people that I'm called to pastor, what I want for you. I think of several things. First of all, for you, I want you to make a courageous act of obedience happen that cost you something. I want you to do something that is risky. I want you to do something that causes you to have the possibility of losing something. I'm not talking about foolishness. I'm not talking about every strange whim that comes into your mind. But I'm talking about that divine internal nudge that happens in your life. And here's the thing. If you haven't had that in a long time, if you haven't thought about that in a long time, it's probably because you stopped doing what God called, God asked you to do and He's no longer entrusting you with tasks to be done because you won't 
won't do what he asks you to do. Maybe it's time you say, Lord, if you speak, I will listen. If you call, I will obey. A divine internal nudge that says, do this, go there, give up this, sacrifice this. Make a courageous act of obedience that cost you something. Something you don't know where it ends up. You don't know what the outcome is. You don't have the plan figured out. You just simply say yes. I mean, the Christians... The people of God that I respect most in my life are the people who are willing to do that. The illustrations that I use on Sunday morning, the biographies that I read, the stories that I'm given to, they're all about people who are willing to give up something because they know that God has called them to do it. And they don't know the outcome. Most inspirational illustrations and stories that I tell from this stage, from this pulpit, happen when we talk about people who were willing to risk it all to be obedient to God. When's the last time in obedience to God you did something that could really cost you? I was reading this week uh, an interesting article by Andy Stanley about what it means to go deep in the Christian faith. And he said, there's this idea out there that going deep in the Christian faith means to stand up and say things that make you go, wow. Like when you talk about, man, that church is deep. What you mean is, man, that pastor talks about really hard stuff. Man, he's stuff that that makes my brain explode. Makes my brain go, what in the world? Like it makes me think. I just can't even understand it. It's so deep. But he said, if you look in Scripture, being deep never has anything to do with what you know. It's how you respond to what you know. And he said, the truth is, being deep is living in obedience. And he used this illustration. I thought it was great. So my girls this past summer are involved in the Samuel ritual of of, uh, swim lessons. You know, you go for a week to somebody's house. They teach you to swim. And then you forget it in the year and you come back next year and you do the same thing again. They're involved in swim lessons. And what's the biggest step for kids in swim lessons? Going to the deep end and jumping off. Where you can't what? Touch. Right? Any of y'all that learned to swim, do y'all remember that moment when you found yourself for the first time? Just pretend if you can't remember. You know what it's like, right? When you found yourself in a place you can no longer touch. And that's deep. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, he calls us regularly to deep things. And deep things are those areas of our lives where we get in over our heads and we don't know how it's going to end up. And we can't touch the bottom to secure ourselves. And we have to depend completely on him. Peter was deep. When he got out of the boat. I want you to make a courageous act of obedience that cost you something. I want you to know the thrill. That you were instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus. There is no greater feeling in the world. Than being part of bringing someone to a saving faith in Jesus. I can still remember the first time I ever did it. Sitting out on the steps of seventh grade church camp with Brian Ladd. 
Brian Ladd was a guy that was in my school, was in my youth group, but we knew and not made a decision to follow Christ. And my youth minister said, I want you to talk to Brian sometime this week. I was a seventh grader. The Lord was working on my heart. And so I went outside with my good friend Stephen. Y'all heard me tell stories about Stephen and one of our counselors named Rob. And we sat on this porch and we talked to Brian about what it meant to follow Jesus. And I can't explain to you. I can remember some specific moments in my life and my encounters with Jesus. That moment when I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ is way up there in what it felt like in the emotional moment, in the spiritual fulfillment that happened there. But in the midst of all of that, sharing with Brian about his faith, when he prayed to receive Christ, it was as if I was reliving my own salvation. And I don't remember every time I've done that since then. I remember certain ones. You remember your kids. I remember my kids for sure. Remember a couple of guys in college that I saw turn around. I remember conversations with I've had people here in this church that have come to faith in Christ. But if I look at the studies out there, 80 to 85 percent of people that call themselves born again Christians in America have never shared their faith with anyone, which means they have never had the thrill of being a part of seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I want that for you. I want for you the freedom and joy that comes from living according to God's plan for service and mission in our lives. That He has called us to go. He has called us to do. He has called us to serve one another and He has called us to serve the world. And I want you to know the freedom and joy that comes from making your life about serving the Lord in service and in mission. And I want you to experience the depth of what true Christian community is about. Not artificial, superficial, play in church kind of relationships. I'm talking about true, life-altering Christian community. Those four things, what I've just described, making a courageous act of obedience, the thrill of knowing you're instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus, the freedom and joy of living according to God's plan for service and mission and the depth of Christian community. Those are four parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. And our task, my task as your pastor, our task as a church is to equip you to be that and to do that and to act that out in the lives that you already live all over this area of North Nashville. You say, wait a minute, this is Goodlitzville. The reality is we got people all over North Nashville. We did a map. Of where people that are coming to our church live. And there is no centralized location. We got a lot of people come from Goodlettsville. We got a lot of people come from Greenbrier. We got a lot of people come from Hendersonville. We've got a lot of people coming from Madison. We've got people coming from Mount Julia. We got people coming down in Bellevue. We got people coming from Ridgetop. We got people coming from White House. What's that? Gallatin. I didn't forget you, Al. I was getting to you. All over the place. My point is, we are strategically placed all over this area to impact it for Jesus. My job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the saints for works of ministry. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. Knowing all that, For the last two years, I've been thinking about praying about what does that mean for us as a church? What does that look like played out for us as a church? 
A little over a year ago, we began this process with a group of consultants that do this with churches all over that are trying to figure out what it means for their church. It's called the Unstuck Group because the Unstuck Group helps churches get unstuck from kind of where they are to where they want to be. A little over a year ago, we had a group of people that came together, church staff, church lay people, church lay leaders. We worked through a weekend. We worked through a process of praying about, seeking the Lord, asking Him what that would look like, working through exercises together, someone leading us through all of that. And in the midst of that, we came up with a lot of stuff that we saw that were possibilities for us as a church to focus on moving forward in order to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, to be, equip people to go out and to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus. And there were three initiatives that we brought to the very forefront of what we're going to do and be about and staff about and spend money about and think about and move towards in the next five years. There are these three. We're going to work to make our Sunday morning experience the absolute best that it can be. We're going to work to establish a... Next Steps program, a discipleship path to help people to understand how they become just the people that come and to see and the people that go and to serve. And we're going to work on a communications strategy to figure out how to let people know what's happening here and how they can come to know Jesus as their Savior. All three of those are important. Sunday morning worship experience especially is the place that most visitors now enter into the church for the first time. It's not the first interaction they have with the church, by the way. We'll get to that in a minute. The first time they enter into a church, almost 80 to 90 percent of the time now is through Sunday morning worship experience. Through our doors on a Sunday morning, not a Wednesday night, not some other time, but on Sunday morning. And so we want to make it the most pleasant experience for people when they get here. That's why you've seen people in the parking lots over the last few months. We Part of this initiative, the guest services initiative came out of it. Because people like to feel welcome when they come into an environment like our church. And the truth is most churches think they're friendly churches and most statistics show not just our church, but every church that thinks they're friendly is not. Survey of people that were first time visitors to congregations up to people that had visited for a month found that 80 percent of them said that the churches they were attending were not friendly. Those same churches were surveyed about whether they were a friendly church and 85 percent said they were. The guy that was doing the research said that what we discovered is churches are friendly with themselves. And if we're going to reach people in our community, we've got to be willing to experience some uncomfortable nature for us in order to bring people in. We want to make this moment on Sunday mornings as God honoring as it can be. What we're going to do on Sunday morning in this church, as long as I'm your pastor, is we are going to worship God and we're going to hear from him through his word. But we can think about how we do that. To make sure that we're doing it in a way that is relevant to the culture of this church and to the culture that we are reaching. The next step, discipleship path. We're, gonna, we're really going to focus on adult discipleship in the years that come. 
Listen, our children's discipleship, our preschool discipleship, our youth discipleship is great. I don't know if you've got kids that are in that, been a part of that. They do a great job with that. I was having a conversation with my kids a, a few weeks ago. Maddie was talking about her favorite Bible verse. She said, Dad, can I quote my favorite Bible verse to you? And I said, sure, Maddie. I'd love for you to. Now, when kids come to you and say, I want to quote my favorite Bible verse, most of the time I'm expecting a few variations. John 3, if you ask Luke, John 3.16 is his, right? Maybe that's one. Maybe it's, I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. You know where Maddie went? Lamentations. Steadfast love of the Lord and his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And then she said, Lamentations 3. And I was like, now how many are quoting Lamentations as seven-year-olds? Now, that's not because my kid is advanced and has decided to do an advanced degree in Old Testament studies. That's because Ellie Thomas downstairs has been working through the gospel project with them. And one of their key verses for the month was out of Lamentations. And they memorized the verse of the month. And Maddie loved it. We've got to work on our adult discipleship. What do I mean by that? I mean a program that helps people come from come and see, check out what's happening here, to follow me, that Jesus calls us to, to remain in me and to serve him. And so that means we're going to put some more emphasis on our Sunday school ministry here at First Baptist Church. Equipping teachers, training teachers, looking for teachers. We need teachers. That means, and you can see this, we already started on our Wednesday night. We're going to be a more comprehensive effort on Wednesday night to do discipleship and Bible studies. This past Wednesday night, we more than doubled what we normally have through our Bible studies on our first Wednesday night of the new program. And it means in the next few months to the next year, we're going to begin to discuss and roll out small groups in homes to help people connect where they are. We're not replacing Sunday school. But all the statistics out there show us that when we go to where people are, we're much more effective. A recent study came out, two recent studies came out, and the numbers vary a little bit. But somewhere between, they did a research study of the fastest growing churches in America and the churches that are declining or plateaued in America. And this is an amazing stat. They found one thing that correlated between them. There were lots of different worship styles. There were lots of different pastor styles, a lot of different polity, government, church government styles. But one thing that correlated 85 to 90 percent of the fastest growing churches in America, the ones reaching people through evangelistic baptism growth, had in-home small groups as a part of their ministry. Eighty-five percent of churches that were plateaued or declining did not. We're not taking away your Sunday school class, but we're going to look at how to extend what we're doing beyond the walls of this building. And then communication strategy. Like, what? That doesn't seem like that should really fit in there. I had somebody tell me one time, you're the best kept secret in Goodlessville. That's really not what you want to be as a church. Amen? we got to figure out how to let people know what God's doing here. In an effective way. People no longer visit your church first. People visit your website first. And our website is in need of upgrade. But that costs money that's not in the budget. 
at the moment. People need to be able to see that you're at least current with times with your branding and strategy and what you're communicating, how you're doing it. And yes, some of you have heard this. Some of you have asked me about this. Some of you have questioned me about this. We have to think through what our name communicates to the area in which we live. Just this summer, we had a uh, we had a friend visit. Some of you know Denise Lopez. Denise Lopez, who spoke at our women's event for several years, Christmas event. Denise was here with her family, and they said, "Hey, we're driving through." They had dropped off one of their uh, children at Southeastern Seminary, and they were driving back to Oklahoma. And she said, "We're going to be driving through on Saturday. We want to stop and come to church." I said, "Great. We'll see you at church. We'll go to lunch afterwards." It was great. She got here and she said, "Well, we almost didn't see you this morning because we went to the wrong church." I said, you went to the wrong church. He said, yeah, I just took out my Google Maps. I put in First Baptist Church, Goodlettsville, and it took me to a different church. Y'all know that, right? There's a different, there's, y'all know that. There's another First Baptist, Goodlettsville. It's actually Goodlettsville First Baptist, but Google doesn't seem to care about that. I just mentioned that we have people all over the area, so Goodlettsville is no longer descriptive of who we are as a church. I understand our roots. I'm not denying that. So we have to think about that. We have to pray about that. We have to investigate that. We're not changing our name over the next few months. Okay? Some of you thought I was coming to tell you that today. We're not doing that. But we are going to think about it. We are going to investigate it. We are going to pray about it. And we are going to tell you what we think the Lord is calling us to do. Now the choice is that when all that stuff starts to come out, when we bring those choices to us, we have decisions to make. When we feel as a staff, as a congregation, as lay leadership, that this is direction God has taken us, then we have decisions to make. Are we going to stay in the boat or are we going to crawl over the side? In that group of lay people and staff that met a year ago, we came up with some vision for what we would love to see this church have happen in the next five years. You think five years is a long time, right? It's not. So we came up with over the next five years, these are some things we'd like to see happen at this church. A hundred baptisms. Now, just to let you know, if we take our average over the last five years, that's double what we've done over the last five years. Now, I know that's not a goal anybody's going to go. No, we don't need to do that. We don't need to see people saved. But some of you are looking like, that ain't going to happen. I know you are. Here's the truth. It's not going to happen doing what we've done. Because all we've basically been doing as a church is depending upon our own kids getting saved and baptized. Church kids.